0: Welcome to Record Roulette. My name is Eamon O'Flynn. I'm here with co-hosts Nathan Smith and Sonia Walton to discuss yet another album from the Rolling Stone 500 Greatest Albums list that we've chosen at random. This week, we have a special guest on the show, Kamal Ahmed. Uh, You may remember Kamal from our episode of Biggie's Ready to Die, where he was the well-versed fan. Today, we've asked him to comment on an album he isn't intimately familiar with, The Who's 1970 live album aptly titled Live at Leeds which hits the list at number 327. A few weeks ago in our episode about Al Green's greatest hits, we decided that greatest hits albums probably don't belong on a greatest albums list. So let's start with the corresponding question. Should live albums be on the list, Sonia?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Certainly not all of or many of their greatest hits were on this, and uh, a live album gives a different kind of energy than a greatest hits album does. It's like, performed in a sequence that they choose and and uh yeah there's they have some editorial and artistic authority over how it's put out so yes i think it does
2: i would agree i think similar to the the greatest hits discussion when you're putting out a live album for consideration for this list the bar is raised because you can sort of pick and choose different songs i agree with sonia that in the case of this album it wasn't uh you know a greatest hits live um so, I think the bar is definitely raised, but at the same time uh to that point um you know it, it is sort of more of an artistic expression than it is simply cobbling together the best sort of studio recordings you have from multiple albums. There's a certain level of uh, artistry that goes into playing live, and there's a different sound and a different feel so I, I think live albums certainly merit consideration higher bar, whereas the greatest hits albums, I think are completely off the table
3: yeah, I would i just to add to both what what's already been said i think live albums are kind of like a gift to the fans they're it's sort of like this it's like this very you know intimate um gift that they give to the fans and i think it belongs on that belongs on that roster because it's just so raw yeah,
0: so good yeah i i agree with with all of you um i figured we'd probably all agree on this one i thought i would start out with something nice and easy and no no animosity um but the i also think uh, I hated
1: it no i'm kidding
0: <laughs> I hated the question. Um, yeah, the uh, I I think the other thing is that there are certain bands that are just great live bands and that you can't really capture what they do when you talk about them being in the studio. Right. And and there's like there's artists that I'd argue like would almost you would never even hear them if it wasn't for live albums like uh, Peter Frampton comes to mind, for instance. Uh, you know, like if you've heard Peter Frampton music, there's a very good chance you heard the live version of of his the live album, right? As it comes alive, I think. Um, so you know, I think that it gives you something else that, and it can kind of expose you to artists that that really thrive in one specific type of atmosphere, but maybe not the maybe not something like studio. Uh, so had either or had any of you uh, heard this album before, Kamal? Uh, no, no,
3: nope. It was a first for me.
0: Excellent. Nathan. I'd heard this album
2: more times than I can remember and in various incarnations more than I can remember. The the sort of the standard one we're hearing now, you know, the deluxe version, the ultra super deluxe, the rematch like there's so many different versions of this album. That was part of the, the trouble, I think, with with trying to figure out which album we were reviewing and just for the then for the listeners, we did figure out which album we were reviewing. There's a consistent kind of track listing we're, we're looking at. But this album has existed in so many different forms. I think I've heard all of them multiple times. So I would say I'm intimately familiar with uh, with Live at Leeds and all its iterations.
0: Anyone else like, uh, take a look at the the album length for the like super deluxe anniversary version and, and almost start throwing up <laughs> uncontrollably? <I wept>. <laughs> <laughs> Four hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> Uh, Sonia, have you heard this one before?
1: Uh, I've I've heard of it, but I haven't. I've never sat down to listen to it in any kind of meaningful, constructive way. So this is a good opportunity.
0: Um, yeah, I I haven't heard this album before, but I I own uh, the Who live at the Isle of Wight Festival, which is basically right around the same time. It's almost the exact same track list. Uh, you could probably substitute this one uh or that one in for this and you would never even know that you'd you'd changed albums. And in fact the funny thing is they sub- they also recorded at uh, Hull, I think, like the day before this. And the the tracks were so similar that they actually they had problems recording the bass guitar in, in that one. So they didn't release it until recently. They just took the bass track from uh from this album and just stuck it into that one and said, There we go. Uh good enough. So, yeah, it's just uh, I I think I've heard basically almost this exact version of all these songs, but never this exact version. Uh, 30 seconds or less. um, Tell me whether you loved it, hated it, uh, loved it or hated it and why. So just a really quick, uh, quick impression. Kamal? I can't say I loved it or
3: hated it. I enjoyed it um i enjoyed a couple songs more than i enjoyed the rest of it i probably wouldn't revisit this album the way i did in preparation for this like i would probably have a couple songs that i'd revisit like my generation goes hard i i really resonate with that um and, and i really enjoyed the engagement with the fans between young man and substitute but i wouldn't come back
0: to the whole album nathan it sounds like you've come back to this album eighteen thousand times times uh, before so <laughs>
2: Well, like 17,000 to be fair, but I think, um, like part of it is I love the who, and I think the who are an extremely underrated group on the whole, like they never get mentioned in the same breath as like Zeppelin or the Beatles or the Stones. And I think they're, they're right up there, certainly with the Stones and Zeppelin. Um, so yeah, I, I love the album and I think it's just, I mean, the who are great and this album is great, but for me, this sort of represents pretty much the peak of what a live band, uh, can attain, like in terms of just pure you know raw power ferocity like just melody it it's perfect i think as a live rock album i'll say
0: okay Sonia, i'm going to i'm going to let you have the last word on this this little section right here and i'm just going to say i liked it just fine i was surprised that i wasn't over the moon with it and i i'm i am a long time fan of the who like i i really do love the who and so while i enjoyed the the music i had some kind of reservations about especially about the way this particular version of the album was put together uh, so what are your thoughts, Sonia?
1: My thoughts are those of Eamon O'Flynn. Um, I liked it very well, um, but it didn't bowl me over. And I expected it to because like Nathan, I really like I really like The Who um, as much as I like Led Zeppelin and uh, The Rolling Stones. Um, but I felt like, well, I, we'll probably get into more details later, but I felt like it it could have been more interesting.
0: It could have been more. Um, okay, so uh, we'll start the section on on what we liked. Uh, I'll I'll kick it off. Um, one of the things that I always I, I one of the reasons I love the Who live is because they are they're a small band, and I I know it. You know, like yeah, they're four people, like the Beatles, but you know, it's one guitar, one bass, one drum set. And while that can like live lead to a to a lack of depth in the sound, it also Uh, reveals what I'd call like the virtuosity of the of the musicians specifically John Entwistle who is one of the greatest bass players of all time and Keith Moon who is an exceptionally unique drummer and so like I could literally listen to this whole album and kind of ignore everything else that's happening and just pay attention to those guys and I don't think you get that to the same degree in a studio version.
2: No, and I'm glad you mentioned Entwistle, because if you didn't, I, I would have, and I would have gone on at length. So now only go, on, go well, <laughs> Great, now I'll only go on for like a couple minutes, and then <laughs> instead of like 10, but like that's the, you talk about the Who, or I talk about the Who being an underrated band. Within that underrated band is this extremely underrated bass player, John Entwistle, for the reasons you mentioned, Damon, is that there are three instruments. There's vocals, obviously, but in terms of instruments, there's a bass player, a guitar player, and a drummer. And they sound like, you know, two guitar players, maybe two bass players, and a drummer and a half.
1: 17 bass players. The (laughs)
2: reason they can sound so full is because they've got this weird configuration where the bass player is basically a lead guitar player, and Townsend, who's on guitar, is basically playing like a rhythm guitar, almost bass. And it's completely unique and foreign to almost any other band, certainly at that time and almost since, where a bass player takes on the lead sort of instrument. But without taking over the like, you never say, "Oh, this is another bit where he's going crazy on the bass." It just sounds like part of the overall sound, which is just a—it's just pure genius. And so, End Whistle deserves a ton of credit. Keith Moon is obviously you know well known, but I think End Whistle is the one that really, for some reason, flies under the radar in the pantheon of you know rock and roll history. And he's really the the straw that stirs the drink with the Who. Oh,
1: nicely done, Nathan.
0: <laughs> so you feel the same way, Sonia? Yeah,
1: I uh you know i you know i hate the guitar solos uh mm-hmm. but the bass solos oh my god you guys those were so like they were so fun to listen to and i i surprised myself i was like i'm i'm gonna surprise you guys i loved the solos yeah yeah they're so, wow. they're so great
0: Cole.
3: yeah i was just gonna say i'm not very familiar with the who i only discovered how small of a band it was after i listened to this and i looked them up and i was like okay now i've got first impressions i feel like i'm I, you know allowed to go look up the band and see what it consists of and honestly i have this thing where if i'm listening to music and i really enjoy the instruments that are happening on stage or in the studio like i'll this probably sound so bad and i don't encourage you to do this at home but i'll push my headphones into my ears and like it's just like it's like vibrating through my skull and like i felt myself doing that so many times during this album and i even said to myself and i was like i'd be okay with an instrumental of this like just the instruments and the fans so um yeah, pretty epic on the like, guitar and bass like that was re- really really good.
0: Yeah, if you uh there are versions or you can find you can go there and find them of John Entwistle just like literally the bass and nothing else where people pull it out and it's insane. Uh and then just Keith Moon, one of the things so like I said I I have the Isle of Wight Festival CD or the uh the album, but I also have the record like the video version of it. And you will find no greater joy than watching Keith Moon play drums. Like, there's a reason why Animal from the Muppets was based on that. Like, he's, it's just, there's just so much going on there. It's so fun. He just is so crazy.
2: But the polar opposite of that is Entwistle, who is just stone faced like a statue. He's not moving. Like, Doesn't his move. fingers
0: are going crazy.
2: His face isn't moving. There's no expression, no joy. And he's going all over the fretboard, doing all these crazy bass runs and notes. And he's just standing there no expression no nothing he's
1: like but like the best part nuts. of the band
2: yes he's, exactly he's
1: the george harrison of the who
0: he's even beyond george harrison i'd say he's he's the quiet whovian yeah. um <laughs> uh what what else did people like about this thing
1: i think it sounded great i assume that at this point it's been digitally remastered up the wazoo Probably. but it, but it sounded beautiful it was really crisp and clean and I read probably on the Wikipedia that they had some trouble with some of the tracks. So mm. they they fixed them up in dig- with digital enhancements or in post-production or something like that. I thought it also had a really great energy, despite the fact that they cut a lot of the banter that they would usually have with the audience. I think there was a little bit that that you mentioned. Um, uh, but. A lot of that is missing, and that's part of the charm of a live album. And so I really missed having that yeah. kind of aspect of it.
0: This is like a two hour and 15 minute long uh concert or so- something around that. And so mm-hmm. to have something that's like 30, was it 36 minutes? Yeah. yeah. Something like that, right? Yeah. I mean, they played Tommy cut. in its
2: entirety during this concert, plus a bunch of other songs. So to uh-huh. whittle that
0: down to 37 minutes and give a yeah. reasonable representation ha- of that concert Hello
1: Leads, you know? Yeah. Like, throw me a Hello Leads. <laughs>
0: I I thought that it's just in some ways it's just impressive to to go to your production point there, Sonia. It is impressive that they were even able to capture it though, mm-hmm. um, capture the sound so well because you can only do just so much uh, digital digital as work you know. afterwards. Yeah, as echo, I know, echo, yeah, echo. With <laughs> all the problems we have with this podcast. Uh, but the you know I don't know um, how many of you have watched like the Get Back uh documentary the uh the beatles documentary but was, if you did you saw how hard it was for the greatest band ever to get an eight track recording system brought in to use you know and this is 1970 so this is like basically what the next year um so doing that in a live uh, you know it's it just it it would be extremely hard in 1970 mm-hmm. to, to do a good job recording a live album. Well, live albums
2: now even are difficult because it's like a really fine line between sounding, you know, it's supposed to be quote unquote live, but it's so overproduced that it may as well not be, or then it's so raw that it sounds just, you know, like it was recorded in a tin can or in a garage. So to get one like this and in 1970 to sound mm-hmm. this well, but it's right on the line where you can tell it's live. There's a lot of raw energy, but like you said, Sonia, it's it's extremely well produced. Like it, that's, even today, it's, it's very difficult to name on one hand, I think sort of great, Sounding live albums, never mind the performance, and this this has them both,
1: mm-hmm. and it's
2: done in 1970. So I think that deserves a lot of uh, a lot of credit.
3: Yeah, I have to remind myself like that they, they, this is recorded in the 90, 1970s. I was born in 1997. Let's just get it out on the table Aww. now. Um oh, but, yeah. bless little but I have to remind myself, but even still you're right, it does sound really crisp and a lot of the things that I don't like about like very contemporary live recordings, whether they're pop or they're, you know, rock or rap, is that it sounds like it was layered. Like it was intentionally layered in a studio. It doesn't actually feel like you're, you're there. And one of my favorite things about live albums as a kid who wasn't allowed to go to concerts until I grew up and did my own thing was that I could listen to live albums that were good and, and feel like mm-hmm. I was there. Close my eyes, you know, push my headphones in. It's probably where it all started uh, and, and feel like I was at the concert. One of the ones I revisit all the time is uh, Sting, live in Berlin in 2010 with the Royal Philanthropic uh, Orchestra I think that's what they're called not philanthropic that's definitely not the right word is philharmonic? that Philharmonic, that's philharmonic. The word. I'm philanthropic that's Philharmonic right <laughs> so track. it's staying
2: to a large yeah, to a it great is. degree so yeah
3: yeah I'm right on the money but yeah that's I, I visit that pretty often but that's 2010 so like that's pretty you know but this album sounded a lot like that and that's pretty incredible for 1970s another thing I really liked about this album is that they sound like they're talking to like people my age because it's live at Leeds like there's probably a lot of university students out there there's a lot of young people the banter and the way that they're just engaging even the little bit that you get it sounds like they're not trying to like impress anyone like these are big fans these are kids who are drinking or smoking Mm -hmm. like they're here for a good time and it sounds like the band's having a good time with them
1: and they're not being patronizing yeah that's a good point
3: Well, and they're also, they're they're relatively, that's the other thing too about bands at that
2: time. Like, yes, they were slightly older than their audience, but it's not like, you know, it's a bad example but Green Day today when they're like early 50s talking like 18 year olds and trying to relate to them like at this point I looked it up because I was curious like how grandpa you Townsend? sound bitter. You know Pete Townsend was 25 when he was doing like he'd already written Tommy which to me is incredible. That was sort of like you know I what am I now that I'm kind of older 20 I'll do a rock opera at the age of 25. And so he's talking to these 18 19 year old kids. He's older but he's not you know two or three times their age like you see a lot of these groups now trying to you know recapture their glory days. So there is that you know without getting totally cliche that that connectivity between the band and the audience where they can relate on some level that i don't think you get a lot of today
0: and and this is actually uh i actually don't know how big the the room is they're performing in here but the one at hull which they did i think the day before or a couple of days before is like a thousand person room so they weren't yeah, like massive rooms sure. like when i say like of white festival like that's like a massive crowd that's a mm-hmm. huge 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 crowd this is a fairly small Place that they're that they're performing in. It's not a big open field. Sonia, are you going to say something? No. It looked like it looked like you were about to say something when I was okay. We'll cut all this out. Don't worry. No, um, we
1: won't. You, you liar. I'll
0: leave all this in. Yeah. Uh, the mistakes are what make it. I shake wonderful. my fist at
1: you every episode when I listen to it. I'm like,
0: oh. "Yeah, this is a live episode. You got to leave them <laughs> the blemishes, otherwise yeah. it
3: uh, ruins yeah. the whole mystique."
1: That's right. I just know. Hello, my, leads. I just
3: know my <laughs> friends are going to be giving and views just for me saying philanthropic <laughs> instead of Philharmonic. So I think we're set. Like
0: I said, it's we're going to surpass sting, 300
1: man. downloads, you guys.
0: Yeah. Um okay, the, the one other thing I'd like to I'd like to mention this in this section. We can add other stuff afterwards, but the the covers I thought were actually really fan- fantastic. The first of the first four songs, so the first side, 3 of them are covers. Um when we did the Beach Boys episode, I coined a phrase that no one has ever said before, which is <laughs> cocking it up. Uh, which means taking the cover, uh, cover versions of songs that are so much yourself that they sound nothing like the original, and that mm-hmm. phrase comes from Joe Cocker. No one has ever said that term before, <laughs> um, but that's what this is. These guys really cocked up these songs. Um, they, oh, God. they turned them into. <laughs> I'm only doing this because I knew I knew they'd get Sonya going. Um, the these guys, like I went back and listened to the the versions of these songs. Um, you know, there are a couple, I think two of them are from like the 1950s. Like they're old, like fairly old by this point. Uh, and they, they sound completely different. Like they took these things and they made them their own. And that's, that's not always something you get, you know? And that was one of the criticisms with the Beach Boys is they had cover songs, but they were kind of just doing like a straight cover of them and they weren't even trying to add something new. So that was kind of a, that was kind of a nice, a nice thing I thought.
2: Yeah, no, I, and I think when you get, you know, when you're talking about the musicianship largely from the 1950s, which is uh, Shaken all over and uh, summertime blues, and you give them to, again, musicians like Ent Whistle and Keith Moon, and, you know, Pete Townsend's not, uh, what is, No slouch. No slouch. Or <laughs> I was thinking chopped liver, but I don't, even, I don't even know if I've ever had chopped liver, so I was going for slouch. But when you give them to musicians of that pedigree, and you're, you're sort of ba- the, the source material is from the 1950s, like, People at that level are going to take it to a whole other stratosphere. And so I, I'm, I'm not overly surprised that they sound dramatically different. But yeah, when you listen to uh, Summertime Blues, I think Eddie Cochran was the sort of original singer-songwriter of that. And then Shaken All Over, which I think was a Canadian group, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken.
0: I have to look it Kidd. up.
2: We'll fact check that. But either oh. way.
0: I'll add that to the uh, the list of things for the next mini episode. They do sound like
2: Who originals, especially in the context of all the other Who originals they were playing in that song. It doesn't sound like, oh, this must be a cover. It's like, oh, this must be something off their last single or the last album. So they, they fit in great.
0: Yeah. If you guys want to listen to something like the, that really sounds different is Young Man Blues. Um, the original version is, it's a guy with like a higher, really soft kind of voice. No. And he's—you're disagreeing with that.
1: I'm not going to listen to it. Okay. You know how I feel Uh, about a soprano and a falsetto. I'm I'm talking
0: to the audience, Sonia. I don't care what you do. (laughs) All right. Um, The uh, but it's—it's also just like with just a piano, like it's just a guy with a piano, and he's got a higher voice, and you know, like it sounds so different. It's so insanely different. So
1: He looks like Paul Newman, Mose Allison Jr. Yeah, that's one. That's the one. That's the guy. Yeah,
0: um, looks like Paul Newman with a hair. <laughs> Paul Newman with, with a hair. Yeah. Uh, so there there is actually a kind of funny, funny note around these covers, too. So in Randy Bachman's uh, autobiography, he says that when he met Who bass player John Entwistle, he was told uh, that people constantly got the Who and the Guess Who mixed up, which is, is obvious why. But tired of being yelled at for not playing the song, the Who started just playing... Um, What is it? I missed. American uh, woman. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, oh no, no! It's um, uh, summertime blues was actually something that uh, that they played oh, as well as part oh. of their, um. And so the Who just started playing it to keep the crowd happy, uh, and then Bachman responded by that the Guess Who had the same reasons for playing My Generation. So the, the Guess Who actually used to have My Generation as part of their set list because yeah. they were getting con they were getting confused for the Who. I don't know who was doing that because they don't sound anything alike. But it's literally just someone bought the wrong concert ticket. <laughs> Um, anything else we want to include in this section, or we want to move on to the horror of horrors, the bad section? I'm ready. I As like the
3: artwork. I like the packaging. Like the artwork, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like it's just kind of like a stamp. Maybe that's just me in the 2021 appreciating what they just. I don't know what. Maybe they just. That's all they could whip up. I, it's the Who. I'm sure they could have done a lot if they wanted to.
0: It's actually uh, made to look like a bootleg because bootlegs were uh were really popular back then because live albums weren't like super super common at this point. That's it was like, genius. "Hey, let's make our own bootleg." That's absolutely genius. Yeah. There's actually one of the one of the uh reviews from the time that I I read basically said like they they didn't give them a lot of credit for the actual album, but they gave them they were like, "But the cover is fantastic. five stars." <laughs> yeah. It was like, "That's what we're giving them five stars for, guys." Uh Okay. Let's move on to the, uh, on to the bad stuff. So Nathan doesn't think there will be very much here. Um, so it, let's see if he can, if he can pick out anything that he didn't like about this.
2: I don't know. Like I'm, you know, I'm inherently biased cause this is sort of in my wheelhouse. Like I like, I like to think I like a lot of different kinds of music, but this is sort of what I grew up on. And so I'm going to be biased towards like, you know, hard guitar, bass, drums, great vocals, good melodies. So it's, it's tough to find a lot to pick at. I think sort of knowing what I do about the whole set list. And we kind of touched on it earlier. Like I, I wish I could hear more of Tommy. I wish I could hear some, some different songs, but you know, at the same time that, that weakness, I think is a strength because it it was culled down from such a relatively long concert and to kind of edit that down to 37 minutes of cohesive music, um,
0: throughout that this is assembly. really in your sweet spot too right like this yeah. is a sweet spot for you so yeah
2: I'm trying to sort of criticize it but it ends up becoming another compliment so I'll just sort of put a hard stop there and and hopefully turn it over to the the field who can tear it apart
0: yeah who wants to take their first shot
3: I'll I'll dive in there just because I feel like I have to since I'm the newbie um, to the album I mean um, I I I feel like I got a little bored in the middle of it I'm so sorry I'm just so sorry to the fans out there. Maybe I'm just not grounded. Yeah, I agree. Um, Maybe it's just my (laughs) ignorance or my lack of like experience with the who. Um, But I feel like the middle, you're saying it sounds, you know, it's hard to bring it down to a cohesive point. I I wonder if it came down to a point where it was too cohesive and it was like the middle of the album is starting to sound a little bit one note. Like the beginning sounds great. The end sounds like, well, what a wrap up. But in the middle I, I wonder if they could have added some some diversity in there the dialogue kind of runs out really quickly and perhaps that's you know if I heard the full four hours I might have gotten a lot more engagement but it it would, it would have been nice to have some of that carry through
1: did you think it was like the 15 minute song in the middle that kind <laughs> I was, of?
0: That's no. That's I've what did it, it for me.
3: I love my generation, but yeah, I guess that's the one downside of the 12, 13 minute song is that I love the first eight minutes and I could keep listening to the first mm-hmm. eight minutes, but it's like, Oh my goodness. Am I going to get past oh, yeah. these eight minutes? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's it. I, I kind of, uh, my, my first note is the sa- second side is a bit messy because my generation is great. But then the, the, the stuff that comes right after it, the medley, uh, it's just, eventually it's not as engaging as the start of the song. Uh, So I actually, as a fan of The Who, I kind of was like, all right, guys, all right, let's move on to another real song here. Let's let, rather than taking little bits of Tommy and place, other places, other
1: songs. I think so- that that's something that would play out well in, in the live concert, though. Like, I think you'd be way more engaged with it at the live show than you are listening to it on the album. And that segues into my next point, which is that as a... As a gift for the fans, a live album, I think, should have more of their big hits than this one does. I think that, like you mentioned, that they do a really good job with the the covers, which are half the album or half the songs on the album, and that's that's all well and good. But if I'm a teenage girl in 1971 going to buy this album, I don't want to hear them play summertime blues. I want to hear them play the big hits, you know? Um, so I I felt like that was kind of a, a downside or like, not a rip off for the fans, but kind of, you know, doesn't have them in mind. I don't know.
2: I've always found that to be sort of the eternal struggle of not just like a live album, but even just like a live set list because you're, you're always trying to please both sides. Like you have mm-hmm. to, if you're, you know, if you're the who, you've always got to play my generation. Whether you're mm-hmm. sick to death or not, because there's going to be a lot of people that never heard you or seen you live. Whether
0: you're 75 years old, yeah, yeah. But then there's
2: going to be other people that love you and have seen that song perform, you know, a hundred times. Like, give me a B-side or give me a cover or give me, you know, some lesser-known mm-hmm. track. And so. I sort of sympathize with both sides. And I, I think ultimately you do have to play the hits because there's mm-hmm. gonna be more people that have never seen you before and if they've never seen you before, but they wanna hear those But make it 15 minutes long. Yeah, now we're gonna super serve you. <laughs> you are gonna get, not only are you gonna get my generation, you're gonna get a
1: 15 minute version yeah. of my
2: generation. So you're
1: gonna get the next generation too. Enjoy, yeah. <laughs>
2: mm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like I, I, do, I do think there's nothing funnier than the idea of them still performing my generation, which includes the line, with hope no I die key. before I get old. <laughs> Uh I do the one other thing I would note is looking up the um the actual uh track listing for the concert itself uh, my generation comes it's literally the second last one in the concert so mm-hmm. even though they've chopped everything up that and magic bus are the last two uh, last two songs so you could see that big that big uh, section after uh, my generation is actually touching on a bunch of songs that they actually performed earlier so it's uh-huh. almost like a so you could see how that would actually work really really well yeah, in a live, yeah. A live environment uh, yeah yeah
1: yeah. Um, i think like the the fact that there are so many reissues and you know, the 17 hour version and the 44 hour version kind of bears out with what I'm saying about the covers that maybe people felt not ripped off, but a little dissatisfied and wanted to hear more of the actual show.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll just jump in there and say, I feel like once again, just, you know, poor, poor immigrant boy complaining about not being able to go to concerts as a kid. But um it's like when you do get a chance to go, if you don't get a chance to go to concerts often, it's like I want to. I, if, even if I love this artist, I want to be able to hear the the records everybody hears on the radio live because there's a privilege. Mm-hmm. There's a privilege of being mm-hmm. live. It is like being able to watch your favorite bands. Um, but as like even someone who's obviously not an obsessive fan of The Who, I would have probably liked to hear some of their greatest hits in here as well, just kind of like buy in. And I don't mean to treat music like that, but um, it is. That's how you get hooked, right? You hear one album that's really good, and mm-hmm. and you're you're set.
0: Yeah. This to me, this sounded like. Um, like a collection of live songs rather than like uh, trying to capture the live experience almost or like being there like it's odd because they did include like the the dialogue between them here and there but which kind of is like trying to oh you're here this is what you would hear between songs and stuff but because it's so chopped up, I think that that's kind of what I felt was like it didn't have that feeling. And and to the point about like the big songs, like I Can't Explain is a pretty big song. Heaven mm-hmm. and Hell is a great song. Happy Jack is a great song. Uh, Pinball Wizard is obviously on here because they play all of Tommy. And so it's like those are there. There's no reason why they couldn't have grabbed one or, one or two of those um, rather than having a 15-minute song that... I don't know if maybe they picked the 15-minute one because it does touch on other songs that that happen in the concert. They're like, hey, here's the nicest roundup of what you missed.
1: Well, we give you this one song, but you get like a whole bunch of other songs (laughs) with it.
0: Yeah. This this almost feels like the album that they sell you so that you'll buy the bigger album.
2: But they didn't release
0: the bigger album at the time.
2: The only thing I can think of, and it's pure conjecture, is that And this is getting really down to the weeds on the who, but what came out right before this was Tommy, like their last sort of commercial release was Tommy, and after that came this. And if you compare the sound of Tommy from just the instrumentation, and it's kind of reserved almost in a way and held back, even Daltrey's voice sounds like sort of night and day from Tommy to here, where Tommy is still kind of in the really sort of you know schoolboy. Not falsetto, but he's he's not going for it the way he is here. There's no evolution from Tommy to this. So the only thing I can think of is that they didn't want to completely overwhelm the audience or completely alienate them by saying like, "Hey, Richard Daltrey now sounds like an uncaged tiger," and here's Pete Talley like, just like, turn up to nine and ten, and Pete uh, Keith Moon's going 11. crazy and eleven. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. sorry. That was, uh yeah it's final Um, yeah Spinal final goes to 11. the who only goes to 10 everybody knows that but they're trying to at least in some way whether it was you know the managers or the producers like well let's not go all the way let's kind of take them right to the edge without completely alienating the people that might have liked tommy but it could have just been poor choice straight up
0: It, it was kind of back to the point about the covers like the thing that makes the covers so cool is the fact that you're taking them and you're saying hey this is what the who sounds like live and if they take these songs from the 1950s that a really tinny kind of sounding and and they they take get a hold of them that this is what it can sound like. And that's kind of the thing is I actually went back today and listened to Tommy, uh the the studio album because I then wanted to listen to parts of Tommy from this concert, because I can now, because I have the ability to do that now that they've released it. And they sound so different. That it's almost to me there is like a, there is a benefit to that. So not to not to totally destroy your point, Nathan. But I'm completely destroying your point here. sounded like you are agreeing with my point? I was going to say not to. I thought you were going to say like not to destroy my own point. And then all of a sudden you're saying just, <laughs> it
2: sounds <laughs> no. to me like you're supporting my point.
0: Well, what I'm saying is this whole this whole album has that really kind of grungy, kind of heavy feel to it. And to to you know to release versions of the songs from their most recent album, where it's like, hey, check it out! Check out what we can do live with this uh make it a totally different thing would makes it to me like something you should put on it. Put the pinball wizard version from from this on this album because it sounds so different from the from the studio version.
2: Maybe you're still trying to shift units and so if you if you've got a big seller and kind of the t- you don't want to ruin that where it's like, hey, do you want to hear us ruin that thing you loved uh, six months ago? like here it is They're like no, let's just kind of keep that beneath the surface and we'll give you some live versions of tracks that you've never heard before that were from the 50s and extended instrumentals on you know my generation which came out I guess five or six years earlier so I don't know I think we're in violent agreement
0: (laughs) 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 anything else anything else guys in the in the negative section nothing I I do have one more thing. I'm just going to toss it in there. I thought Townsend's guitar was a bit rough in the second half too. I thought it was actually quite good. He's t- he he is a great rhythm guitarist who can toss in a little bit a little bit of lead stuff here and there. But he is not the type of guy you want to be having like any sort of extended guitar solo. And Amen. Uh, he, and he doesn't in the first half. In the first half, he doesn't do a lot of that. In the second half, with a 15 minute long song, oh, god, th- that's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably where you were like. Sonia, right? Yeah. You were starting I was to fall like, asleep. Just
1: stop, stop it.
0: He seems uh, to know his limitations,
2: though. You know, just briefly. Like a lot of guitar players, can't help themselves. They're like, "I've got a solo for, it. even though I'm no good, I got." It. Like he seems to know that. Look, I'm a great rhythm player, and he he does do some really inventive rhythms. But he basically defers to Ant Whistle and even Keith Moon, who takes on kind of a lead type mm-hmm. uh, performance. So I'll give him credit there.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can't have three people who are at all at that, like all pl- trying to to kind of be the lead instrument there right and i think that that's kind of one of the things that makes the who so so unique is the fact that it's it's the it's the rhythm section right that is that is the lead oddly enough uh standout song so this one's actually i feel like this is a this is a a tough one because to some degree they all they'll have a similar feel to them um but sonia standout
1: i guess the first eight to nine minutes as kamal said of my generation um it does it does kind of fizzle out i think toward the end but it for the first bit it was very enjoyable
0: where it's my uh, my generation plus a little tiny bit at the end yeah yeah, yeah. kamal Sorry, He's the album. The agreement. album was
3: playing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to repeat what Sonia said, even though I really enjoyed My Generation, and I feel like that's just like such a newbie thing to say since I'm just coming into the Who now. But I also really enjoyed Magic Bus. I, I, it's on my public transit playlist now. Like it's my playlist. Of, like I take the bus <laughs> all the time, um, and it's just like it's so fun. And it, they, I, I, the vocals don't sound the greatest, and especially like. you compare it to a lot of music on the radio now, like you'd never hear these vocals on the radio, but, and that's why it's so fun. Like, it's just like, I can sing along to it. And I feel like for the first time of me singing along to something, I actually sound like the vocals.
1: So Do you sing aloud to it on the bus? Is that how you keep people away from you during these challenging times?
3: sure Sonia if you would stay away from me yeah I
1: mean that's just, how I, that's just how I keep busy between I mean if someone's singing out loud magic. you do the call and the
2: answer parts so you just pick yeah, the exactly. call part or the exactly. answer part or-
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> you just turn around
3: you just, you
2: just, yeah. just Nathan um I, I I think I would go with shaken all over um only because I think it's sort of like the best of that song I think sort of highlights the best of each of the four like it's I I think it's Daltrey sort of at his peak vocally I think Pete Townsend is doing what he can on the guitar like the drums like the bass and I like how they all kind of work together like there's a good rhythm there like there's a lot of it's like and then it stops and so it just picks up and starts and goes and so I think that song on its own in those three and a half minutes or whatever it is sort of encapsulates almost the, the best of the entire album for me uh so that shaking all over would be my pick
0: and mine's Young Man Blues, and I, I think it's just because it's a great opening, uh, open open mm-hmm. to this album. It's just there's there's a lot of energy. Uh, you can right away you get just smacked in the face by by the, that bass guitar and the drums. Like I think it's just really there, and uh, Daltrey's voice really comes out as well. Um, but if I was and if I was gonna pick something that they actually wrote, it'd be Substitute for pretty much the same mm-hmm. reasons. Like it's it's just so heavy on the on the bass. It's so it's so great. Uh, so can you guys see why this is? Why this is on the list then do you agree with it being on the list sonia uh
1: yeah and and yes absolutely we've we've reviewed some really some real stinkers and <laughs> stinkers yeah uh this one is heads and shoulders above it I, I think it should be higher on the list but
3: yeah just for pure musical quality like i think it's i think i said this in the last episode as well like there's something to be said about a time and place in history when this happens and it, and it encapsulates that story and it encapsulates that story to be told for you know forever if the fans want to keep it alive and for that reason alone because of how significant it is how good quality it is for it being live in the 1970s how good they sound together the fact that they're only a four-person band like just the fact that they are the who i think it belongs
0: uh nathan yeah well you say (laughs) i mean i can imagine what you're going to say here
2: no i would say (laughs) that you know the who's an iconic group and the live album is sort of an iconic concept for, you know, albums in general. And so I, I, in my opinion, this is one of the best, if not the best live album of all time from one of the best groups of all time. So I think, you know, if you're talking about top 500 albums, like certainly this merits a spot and I agree with Sonya, it should probably be higher, especially relative to some of the other ones we've already reviewed.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like if the who are considered one of the greatest live acts ever And this is considered one of the great live recordings ever. It kind of would be strange if it wasn't on the list. So that's so my my answer is kind of like I guess, I guess it should be there, (laughs) even if I didn't completely enjoy it. And I almost the thing I'd maybe suggest is, and Rolling Stone would never do this, but like I don't think there's like there needs to be some sort of like slavish adherence to concepts like importance because it was the original one that was put out if a different version of it was actually a better encapsulation of of that experience i'd probably be up for that i know like the there's one that came out in 1995 which is basically the entire concert without the tommy stuff like to me that would maybe be that would maybe be pretty good or there's another one i think is maybe 2010 or something like that mm-hmm. um that came out that was basically just straight the whole the whole concert like i said that's two and two hours and 15 minutes but concerts are two hours and 15 minutes and mm-hmm. you know it gives you that feeling and, and it was all recorded at the time it's not like they sub- you know substituted uh ah. substitute i didn't use um, if you roll back the tape you use that like three or four times in about a <laughs> 20 second stretch because- earlier i thought you were going to listen to it, it. <laughs> no, well i mean i think i i noticed it one time and then i think i was like oh well that was weird that, that As you're listening, you are know what's so weird feel is feel to take
3: a drink every time Eamon says substitute you'll have a better time <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah if you guys could re- rewind um yeah it's just uh that i it's probably because i've listened to that song twelve thousand times in the last week but surprisingly so.
1: but, you haven't yeah. mentioned the band tonight. Oh so. God,
0: I've been working so hard to not do it, but yes, the band's Rock of Ages is a fantastic live album. Um, is that is that good You're enough? welcome. Okay, yeah. that's it. Yeah, we need to make sure they're mentioned at least once per... <laughs> uh,
1: they are sponsoring right. this podcast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the two that are still alive are sponsoring this podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think, personally, I don't think I would have a problem with, with saying, hey, you know what? This was important, uh, but maybe we'll put in this one that encapsulates more of that recording and more of it. Like I I'm, I'm a little bit torn because as you said, Kamal, it is like a time and place and this was released and this is what people got. And this is the thing that people thought was the greatest rock album or live rock album for 30 years, right before there was any alternative from this, this concert. So there, I'm a little torn there, but there's a part of me that when, when we hear the kind of criticisms uh, three of us at least have for, for this. It's that there's just not enough there, there, you know? Yeah. You agree? Yeah, You agree?
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm not sure if Nathan would though. I,
1: I
2: don't know. No, I'll, I've said my piece.
1: Get off my lawn.
0: <laughs> He's a real traditionalist.
2: <laughs> no, but I agree with the point that you made that, you know, eh, like let's, let's, let's consider that. Uh, Cause you mentioned the Get Back documentary. Um, and i don't think let it be should be on the list i don't think that's one of the better beatle albums but that was the album now we've seen get it back the documentary and there's like a super ultra deluxe version of let it be that gives you all of the normal tracks plus all the studio chatter all the take 2s take 7 take like that could be a better encapsulation of the let it be sessions but i think you you sort of take what what uh, put it on put it in people's uh minds to begin with and that for better or worse is sort of the the representation and Rolling Stone will make a determination.
0: Well, what what about... Um, that? Let It Be is actually a perfect example because Let It Be Naked came out at one point, and that was the Paul McCartney version where he said Phil Spector, who's a gigantic douchebag, I think everyone knows this. Um, and an like, alleged murderer. <laughs> <laughs> alleged, actually, no, a convicted murderer. Convicted <laughs> yeah. murderer. Um, and giant douchebag. Allegedly uh, convicted. He, uh, well, he's God the one the who... <laughs> He's the one who produced that. Produced "Let It Be," and then Paul McCartney went back and was like, "We would never have done this if we were the ones who were actually producing this. Here's the version we would have put out. How do you do? How do you deal with that? Like that's to me, that's a weird one too. Like that, I I feel like. Well, what I'll
2: say to that is how they dealt with it in in 2021 when Giles Martin was doing the remaster for "Let It Be" and "Get Back" slash "Get Back" the movie is that McCartney wanted to drop the strings out of all these Phil Spector you know, thrash songs and Giles Martin said, sorry, Paul, like this is the way it was at the time. So we can sort of enhance the strings. We're not taking them out. We're not letting it be naked again. Like this is yeah. let it be as it was and we can tidy it up, but we're not going to sort of, uh, you know, let it be Paul. Yeah, just let let it be. Be, Paul. <laughs> you said yourself, Paul.
0: Okay, uh, so let's let's move on to the commercial success, critical hit thing. Uh, do you guys think this is a commercial success, critical hit, or both, Kamal?
3: Uh, I can't say that it's a critical hit. I can see why it would be commercial success, just because of once again the time and place, the pure quality. You know, the fact that they're talking to this audience as well. I think the 1970s was a pretty, like, pretty epic time for young people, and I think, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, that's what I just said.
0: Okay, Nathan.
2: Uh, I'm gonna say it was reasonably successful critically and I'm gonna say that commercially it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was a, a massive success, but I'm gonna say it was a pretty solid success given, like Kamal said, sort of the time and place, they're just coming off Tommy, they're pretty well established. This isn't sort of establishing them, it's sort of you know establishing them further. So I think it would have mm-hmm. moved quite a few units at the time. Sonya?
1: I think probably a commercial success and probably a mixed bag critically. There are probably some youth fist shaking elderly gentlemen writing yeah. reviews.
0: So this is this is it's interesting because this one actually comes out uh, after two albums in a row um, or two albums that have, that also appear on the Rolling Stone five hundred greatest albums list. So they are firmly entrenched in the in the minds of especially young people at, at this point because. Uh, the Who Sell Out and Tommy both come out right uh, before this one. Um, and the very next album is Who's Next, which is also on the list. So they had a crazy run there. Uh, but they, yeah, so it's, this will actually maybe surprise some of you, but they actually ended up at number four on the Billboard Pop albums. Number wow. four. It went to number two in Canada and number three in the UK. Uh, ended up being double platinum in the U.S. and gold in the U.K. as well. So Canadians make, probably make thought they were buying Guess Who. <laughs> yeah, so that, that bumped them up a few spots. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's yeah. Where's American Woman? Yeah, where where is it? Um, that reminds me of uh, is it the BTO uh, taking care of business? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's a Simpsons episode where it says Homer just keeps yelling, "Play taking care of business." Uh, <laughs> get to the working overtime part. <laughs> we've already we've already played it five times, sir. Um yeah, so it was uh it was very successful. Critical recep- reception was mixed, I'd say mixed to positive. So you literally have people contemporary reviews so the one from the new york times nick nick cohen's called it the best live rock album ever made now i mean this is 1970 so There'd the band like hasn't put out rock of ages yet
2: not a lot of live uh, albums to choose from in 1970 either like it's true this is better than that other live album that once came out <laughs> the best live album of all time yeah
0: uh and then another one like i said uh, rolling stone praised the album cover Uh, But then said everything else was dated and really just served as a formal end to the first era of The Who, which is an interesting thing to write at the time, because it is the very next uh, album they put out has Bob O'Reilly on there. Right. And it's like kind of a very different sound um, to to what they're doing in this album. And then retrospectives are basically, you know. All over it and saying this is this was clearly an indication of the of the future of rock and roll and and everything. It really does set up the 1970s with harder rock um, music that kind of comes along, and it has been called the best live rock recording of all time by the Daily Telegraph, the Independent, the BBC, Q Magazine, and Rolling Stone. And a com- commemorative blue plaque is now bolted outside the building where it was recorded. So yeah, wow. it's uh, clearly important. Um, I did find one bad opinion, and I will read it now. I could barely list a rock album that's less enjoyable than this one. I like some stuff by The Who, but Live at Leeds' album is just terribly overhyped, unless you're some dad rock lover, avoid at all costs. <laughs> this is someone named Mick Lack on RateYourMusic.com in 2015. Uh, but overwhelmingly very difficult to find a find a... A one-star review, certainly. Uh, a lot of people, mostly, just kinda complaining that they weren't able to get more of the songs from the concert. Alrighty, uh would you recommend this to others? And if so, why, Kamal?
3: Yeah, just just for pure like education, like musical education and historical exposure. I think that's so important. Like we talked a little bit about that at the last episode because of what that meant to rap and what that meant to culture. And I feel like this is similar and. Like, we know that the UK has had such a strong influence on rock music and, and the Who especially. So, uh, and like for sound quality and like production, like this is this is just crazy for the times. And I'm sure there's stuff to learn here for artists even now looking to produce a live album. Like if you hear some live work now, it just sounds, sounds like studio work with fans, like fan sound effects layered on top. So I would recommend
0: it. Nathan.
2: Let's see, I think I, no, I would definitely recommend it um, for a whole <laughs> yeah, right. for a whole variety of reasons, but I think, you know, not to get sort of too nostalgic, but I, w- I would recommend this to anybody who is sort of starting to play guitar with friends in their basement or their garage and say, look, this is one guitar player, you got the guitar, one bass player, you got the bass, one drummer, you got the drums, and try to make a sound like this. Like, there's no keyboards, there's no crazy effects, there's no post-production, this is what you can aspire to, and just, you know, you might be able to get parts of this album and you can kind of imitate that, and you try to work further and further and further to the more intricate parts, but I think this is just a great album to aspire to if you're, you know, young kids kind of messing around in the garage or a basement or a living room or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And that would be my sort of primary you're reason. off it. here. That I haven't, well, I mean, I've sort of gone over it a zillion times. I'm trying to self-edit myself, but that I think without repeating myself, that would be the main reason I'd recommend it to people that are getting started. It's like, this is a great album to kind of aspire to.
0: Don't don't worry, I'll be heavily editing you. Oh, God.
1: Oh, oh uh, indeed. Sonia. Yes, you can count on the editing. Uh, I think I would recommend it, but I think I might recommend one of the other versions, like one of the reissues. Am I allowed to do that? Sure. Is that a plot twist? Uh, just because it would have more of the songs that people might expect to hear from The Who. And um, yeah, I, I think it's a great album, but I think there are better versions of it that more, that would capture more of the energy of a live show and uh, and the, the Who sound. I. I-
0: agree if you if you want to just hear the who live then i think you could probably just check out the first half of this one like the first side and just be like okay that's what they sound like that's how they that's what they sound like it's big and it's really loud um but if you love their music and you you should just find one of the longer cuts of this concert Mm because i don't because i think it's you know i found repeatedly i was going back and just listening to longer cuts like I, i was joking around before about this almost being like the trailer for the for the full thing except mm-hmm. they never actually released the full thing until 40 years later um but that's what it ended up being like for me i ended up kind of bouncing back to like the longer one being like okay what else is on here
1: mm-hmm. so
0: my my recommendation would uh would be to get the full concert experience turn it up and turn up the volume or uh kamal we can just maybe shove those shove those earbuds in your ears That's all for today. Thank you to Nathan and Sonia as usual, and thank you to Kamal for joining us. I hope you come back again. It was great to have you. Uh, Finally, thank you to The Who for pioneering loud. Uh, What did you think of Live at Leeds? Let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RR Music Pod. Rate and review this podcast wherever you can. Tell your friends. They can listen to us and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcast. or simply visit recordroulettepodcast.com. Next week, we're talking about Star Time by James Brown. Uh, we hope you listen. Until the next spin, goodbye.